Please open your Bible to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. The first chapter of Romans. How many of you have your Bibles? Let's see your Bible. Will you hold it up, please? Photographer, will you kindly take a picture? That'll be a wonderful picture to spread on your local newspaper, page 1. I am now going to start to read Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul a servant of Jesus Christ. When you write a letter, you put your name at the end. This heightens the suspense. When Paul wrote letters, he put his name right at the beginning. Now get your pencil ready, please. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. If I were you, I would underline in my Bible in verse 1, the gospel of God. Mark that in your Bible, which he had promised to fall by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of Holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Will you please turn to verse 9, verse 9, with your pencil ready. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his Son. Will you please underline in verse 9, the gospel of his Son, in verse 1, the gospel of God, verse 9, the gospel of his Son. Verse 15, please. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Underline in verse 15 the words, the gospel. Now may we all recite together, please, verse 16. If you know it by heart, look up. If you don't know it by heart, look down. If you're not too sure, one eye up and one eye down. Is there an ophthalmologist in the house? Now, if you can lip read, look up. We are now going to recite it, then you're going to underline the gospel in just a moment. The first word is the word for, and here we go, everybody. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In verse 1, you underline the gospel of God. In verse 9, you underline the gospel of his Son. In verse 15, you underline the gospel. Then we all recited, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The theme of Romans is the gospel of faith. And you just made the declaration, I am not ashamed of it. Wonderful. But the important question is, do you know what the gospel is of which you are not ashamed? You teenagers, that word gospel is Anglo-Saxon, Godspell which means glad tidings, good news. It's one thing to say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation to every one that believeth. But it's another thing to know exactly what that gospel is concerning which we are not ashamed. Your assignment before tomorrow night is to be sure that you've read the first five chapters of Romans. My assignment each night is to give a quick review for the benefit of those who could not be with us previously and then to move right on so that by Friday night you should be able to stand up and teach the epistle to the Romans. I might as well put it right on the line. If I had ten young men right now who were thoroughly equipped to teach, 
I could use you 52 weeks a year. There's such a shortage, a shortage. So what you do is, you come and you bring your Bible and your notebook and you take notes and when you start to teach Romans, you ask them to underline these things, then they know what the theme is, the gospel of Christ. Now, if anybody should ever ask you the question, where does this good news come from? What is the origin of these glad tidings? What is the source? What is the fountainhead? Where does it all begin? Do you know how to answer those questions? With what does the gospel begin? Does it begin with man? Nope. Will you please look again at verse 16, Romans 1:16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now skip it once to verse 17. For therein, that means in the gospel of Christ, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, quote, the just shall live by faith, end of quote. Now watch Paul very carefully. Where does this gospel begin, Paul? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Romans 1.16. Romans 1.17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. That is where the gospel begins. Not in the sinful heart of man, but in the heart of God who is 100% righteous. Bear that in mind, please. If every pastor from Atlantic to Pacific on the Lord's Day would preach a sermon on the righteousness of God, we might have a revival. Our God is 100% righteous. And do you know what that means? He will have no traffic whatsoever with sin. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos chapter 3 verse 3. The answer is no, God will have absolutely no traffic with sin. So, the question quickly arises, Paul, if God is righteous and will have nothing whatsoever to do with sin, how about man? Does man have by nature the righteousness he needs in order to have fellowship with the righteous God? Does man, as he is born into this world, does he have the righteousness that he needs in order to get to heaven, in order to pray to a righteous God efficaciously? Paul, does man by nature have the righteousness he needs in order to have fellowship with the righteous God? That is the question now before us. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. A righteous God will have nothing whatsoever to do with sin. Question. Does man by nature have the righteousness he needs in order to have fellowship with the righteous God? I thank God for the Apostle Paul. As I said this morning, he had a brilliant intellect. I hope that everybody here tonight has a tidy mind. I hope that you are able to think. Nowhere is the brilliance of Paul's intellect more clearly displayed than in the passage right before us now. I am glad you're in the house of God. Paul, does man or does he not, as he is born into this world, have enough righteousness to have fellowship with the righteous God? Paul is now going to answer that question. 
and he does it as follows. He subdivides humanity into two parts. Now what are these two parts? He divides people into two groups. Now what are these two groups? In the first place, the Gentiles. In the second place, the Jews. What's a Gentile? A Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. Therefore, as the Germans say, everybody is mit eingeschlossen. They're all included. He divides the entire human race into two parts. On the one hand, the Gentiles. On the other hand, the Jews. Then he raises this question. Do the Gentiles, by nature, have the righteousness they need in order to have fellowship with the righteous God? And when he's answered that, he turns to the Jews. And he says, do the Jewish people, by nature, have the righteousness they need in order to have fellowship with the righteous God? Now watch very carefully how he does this. First, the Gentiles. Did you people know this? In the early chapters of Romans, we are taught that every Gentile around the world and through the centuries, totally apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, every Gentile has two kinds of light, L-I-G-H-T, two kinds of light which stream into his soul, two kinds, to begin with, totally apart from the gospel, every Gentile has the light of nature. What do I mean by that? Every Gentile, whether he be in China, or in Japan, or in Australia, or in Africa, every Gentile to begin with has the light of nature. Paul is now discussing the Gentiles. He'll come to the Jews later. Every Gentile has the light of nature. What does that mean? Well, he can go out of doors. He can see the waves and the rocks and the trees. He can look upward. He can see the planets, the stars, the constellations. And he can deduce that somewhere, somehow, there must be a divine creator. He can observe the creation and he can figure it out. Somewhere, somehow, there must be someone who has created this universe. Every Gentile has the light of nature. The Apostle Paul tells us that. Will you please look at chapter 1, verse 10, verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to explain it. For the invisible things of him, that is God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That's nature. That's nature. The Greek word for things that are made is poemosin, from which we get our English word poem. The invisible things of God. What invisible things? Keep reading. Even as eternal power and Godhead. Will you please look up from your Bible? Your teenagers, I'm going to explain this to you so that you can understand it. Watch. The invisible things of God, namely his eternal power and Godhead, are understood by the things that are made. Nature is like a great poem. God is the divine poet with a capital letter P. The invisible things of God, things that we can't see with our own eyes, namely his eternal power and Godhead, these are understood by the things that he are, has made so that I can see a rock and I can figure it out. Somewhere there is a creator. I was born in China. 
in parts of China where there is no gospel. The people believe, most of them, that somewhere, somehow, there is a divine creator. Would you like to know his name in Chinese? His name in Chinese is Shangdi. He is the one who created. Why? Because the Chinese, by nature, have the light of nature. They can figure it out. Somewhere there must be a God. But, says Paul, the Gentiles also have another light. Not only the light of nature, chapter 1, verse 20, but another light. Now get your pencil ready and watch for a word which begins with the letter C. Will you please turn to chapter 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. For when the Gentiles, that's what he's talking about. Now skip to verse 15, please, with your eyes wide open. Chapter 2, verse 15. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience, there it is, underline it, 2.15. Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Glance up from your Bible, please. I'm going to simplify this now. Paul, Paul, if God is 100% righteous, does man by nature have the righteousness he needs in order to have fellowship with the right? Will you please answer this, Paul? I'll answer it. I'll divide humanity into two parts, two sections, the Gentiles. The Gentiles have the light of nature, the invisible things of God are understood by the things that are made. And the Gentiles also have the light of conscience. What do you mean by that? Everybody around the world, totally apart from the gospel, has the light of conscience, that sense of moral oughtness in his soul. I believe with all my heart that everybody in this world has a conscience. I believe it for two reasons. Two reasons. Number one, because the Word of God teaches it. I just wrote it. Chapter 2, verse 15, that's enough. But I know it for another reason. I used to be a missionary in West Africa. I have preached to thousands upon thousands of Africans who had never heard the name of Jesus. Never. Right in the middle of a message I would say, how many of you, that's Buru, since the day you were born. How many of you have never, since the day you were born, seen this book, which is called The Words of God Before? You've never seen it. Raise your hand. Hands all over the place. How many of you, from the day you were born, have never heard the name Jesus? Woo, hands all over the place. Then I would stop. Look, you've never heard about Jesus? No. All right? Those of you who raised your hand, I'm going to ask you a straight question. You've never heard about Jesus. Here comes my question. Have you done bad? We had no word for sin out there. There was so much sin you didn't need a word. Have you done bad? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've never heard about Jesus Christ? That boy that you never heard? No. And you say you've done that? Mm. How do you know you've done bad? And again and again a young man would stand up and say in the Buddha language, which being interpreted means because the little man of my heart tells me so. Monomut. Hey? Mut, mut, mut. That's the fourth tone. Mut, that means man. Monomut means the little man. The little man of my heart tells me so. I've never heard about Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul declares that the Gentiles have a twofold light, the light of nature, the invisible things of God, his eternal power and Godhead are understood by the things that are made, and they also have the light of conscience streaming into their souls, Question, Paul, question. Do those two types of light, the light of nature, 120, and of conscience, 215, 
do those two types of light make the Gentiles as righteous as they should be in order to have fellowship with the righteous God? Now watch, watch. Will you please turn to chapter 1, verse 21 for Paul's verdict. Do the Gentiles with this twofold light have the righteousness they need? Here's his verdict, 121. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Look up from your Bible, please. I am now going to give you for your notes three words. It took me ten years to figure out these three words in order to encourage other people to teach. They all start with the same letter. The Gentiles have the light of nature. They've got the light of conscience. But, says Paul, they are guilty. Guilty of three things. 121, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. You know what that is? The first word I'm going to give you is a long word, indifference. They were guilty of indifference. What does that mean? In simple English, that means this, that the Gentiles have the light of nature, they have the light of conscience, but they are guilty of indifference. They couldn't care less about the things of God. Indifference. And that indifference persisted in results in something else. Will you please turn to verse 23? Chapter 1, verse 23. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. You call that idolatry. Would you like to know why there is so much idolatry around the world today? Because the heart of the Gentiles by nature, in spite of the fact that it has the light of nature and the light of conscience, can't care less for the things of God. As the result, there is a spiritual vacuum in their souls, and they very quickly gather to themselves idols, idols, idols. Out in China, where I was born, there are millions upon millions of Idols. Indifference invariably leads to idolatry, and idolatry invariably leads to item three. Will you please look at verse 24? Verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the loss of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Verse 27, And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Look up from your Bible. Would you like to know where, why there is so much blatant, unadulterated sin in the United States of America? Would you like to know why? In spite of the fact that we have the light of nature, in spite of the fact that we have the light of conscience, men and women and young people in this country begin by being indifferent to Almighty God. This invariably leads to idolatry, which in turn invariably leads to immorality. There it is. There it is. I was having a Bible conference in Oklahoma City a few months ago. Jam, standing room only, choir field, all over the place, hundreds upon hundreds of people. A lady stood up and said, Dr. Woodbridge, I want to ask you a question. Yes, ma'am. She said, what do you think of this God is dead movement? I said, what do I think? You want to know what I think? Well, to begin with, I replied, I am not, I am surprised, I am surprised 
that Almighty God doesn't smite these people dead. Amen. But then on second thought, Pastor, I am not surprised because I have recently been teaching Second Peter chapter 3 where it says God is not slack concerning his promise but is long-suffering to usward not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God still even gives these blasphemers a chance. But when you pick up the newspaper and you read about the debauchery and the shame and the lust and the licentiousness and the filth and the pornography, would you like to know why this is true? Romans chapter 1. You become indifferent to God. This invariably leads to idolatry, which in turn leads to immorality. And the verdict of the Apostle Paul concerning the Gentile world, will you please look at chapter 1, verse 20, right at the end. Chapter 1, verse 20. So that, the end, they are without excuse. Look up from your Bible, please. You think you'd be able to teach this? You want to try next Saturday? All you have to do is this. Will you please open your Bible to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Stay a couple of chapters ahead of the audience and you know more than they do. Amen. Now you start to teach. And first you get them to underline the gospel that God, you got it, see? Now what is the gospel? Where does it start? Romans 1, 16. You get them all to recite it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. How about man? How about man? The Gentiles have the light of nature. One twenty, the invisible things of God are understood by the things that are made. They have the light of conscience. 2.15, but what happened? Did all this bring them to righteousness? No. They are guilty of indifference and of idolatry and of immorality. They are without excuse, and as a result, they need the gospel. That's the whole point. Our theme is the gospel, and Paul is showing the worldwide need. Now, how about our Jewish friends? How about the Hebrews? Will you please turn to chapter 2, verse 17. Get your pencil ready now. 2, 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law. If I were you, I would underline that word in 2.17, law. Verse 18, please, right at the end. Being instructed out of the law, underline the word law at the end of verse 18. Verse 20, right in the middle, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Underline it, please. And when you have done that, will you please look up from your Bible and we're moving. See? Paul's answering one basic question now. Do the Gentiles, do the Jews by nature have the righteousness they need? The Gentiles have a twofold light, the light of nature and the light of conscience. How about the Jewish people? Oh, says Paul, the Jewish people have two privileges not enjoyed by the Gentiles, two. And what are they? Number one, the Jewish people have the privilege of the law. What law? The Mosaic law. You just underlined it in verse 17. You underlined it in verse 18 and verse 20. They have a law which thundered out from Mount Sinai. They've got it. They've got it. But question, did that Mosaic law provide the Jewish people with the righteousness they needed in order to have fellowship with the righteous God. You want to hear Paul's answer? Do you know what is meant grammatically by a rhetorical question? He asks a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. Will you please look at verse 30? 
I'll recite it the way he meant it. Chapter 2, verse 30. <coughs> now, I beg your pardon, 2.23. I'm eager to get to chapter 8. <laughs> chapter 2, verse 23. Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God? That's a rhetorical question. Chapter 2, verse 23. And here's what Paul means. You make your boast in the law, you Hebrew people. You've got the law. It's a special privilege not enjoyed by the Gentiles. You make your boast of the law, but by breaking the law, you've been dishonoring God. You had the law, but you broke it. You remember when Moses came down from the mountain? Exodus chapter 20, he received the law. When he got down below Exodus 32, the people were already in their filth. You had the law of God, but that law, far from providing you with the righteousness you need, that law, you smashed it. And what was the other privilege that Jewish people had? I talked about that this morning. You'll find it again here. Verse 25, please, with your pencil already. Chapter 2, verse 25. For circumcision, underline it. Verily profiteth if thou keep the law. Verse 26. Therefore if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Now verse 29, because I'm saving time. Chapter 2, verse 29. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. Do you mind if I analyze that for you now? The Jewish people had two privileges not enjoyed by the Gentiles. Number one, the Jewish people had the Mosaic law but they smashed it. And the second privilege they had was circumcision. What was that? As I said this morning, it was a rite, R-I-T-E, performed upon the flesh of an eight-day-old Hebrew boy by which the family felt that th that little lad was automatically entering into a covenant relationship with God. Now, says Paul, you Jewish people, you had these two things, the law, but you smashed it, and circumcision. But while your flesh was circumcised, your hearts were uncircumcised. You are still living in open rebellion against God. Now watch Paul add this all up. One reason I love to teach Romans is this. I love to teach it. It's a plot. It unfolds. You don't get to Romans chapter 8 right away. It's a temptation always to me when I teach Romans to start with Romans 8. Oh, I can hardly wait for it. God before us, who can be again? Oh, I'm thrilled. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. But I refuse, I refuse. We're starting at chapter 1. You've got to get it. Almighty God has given to the Jewish people a twofold privilege, the law, but she smashed it. And circumcision, the while her flesh was circumcised, her hearts were uncircumcised. Now we're going to have the apostolic verdict. You want to know the verdict? I wonder how many people in this congregation, when you were in high school, ever studied geometry, way back then, geometry. What I'm now going to ask you is going to date you. It'll date you. It'll date you. How many of you remember when you studied geometry 75 years ago? When you studied geometry, how many of you remember that you had something like this? I have something to prove at the top. See, you got something to prove. One, two, three, four. You proved it, and at the end, you put three capital letters. Capital Q, capital E, capital D. Did anybody here ever do that? Q, E, D? Yes, yes, Q, yeah, look at that, look at that. 
My wife went to an English school, so she raised her hand. My background is British training, so I raised my hand. Do you know what that means? Quote, that's Latin. Quote, era demonstrandum, which was supposed to have been proved and has now been proved QED. You want to say the Apostle Paul's QED? Will you please turn to chapter 3, verse 9, and watch for the word prove. Watch for it now. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. If you feel like it, you could put in the margin of your Bible QED. Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we Jews better than they? Gentiles? No. In no wise. For we have before proved, now here it is, we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are what? All under sin. Q-E-D. That's a very unpopular teaching in the United States of America. Very unpopular. Now, will you please turn back to Romans 1.16. Back to Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now to verse 17. For therein, now notice these next words, is the righteousness of God revealed. Now verse 18. How about man? Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Look up from your Bible. There is the human problem. That's the basic human predicament. Romans is a masterpiece of theology. Glorious. But the Apostle Paul is not willing to tell us the good news until, first of all, he gives us the bad news. Bad news. How many of you ever heard of dear Pastor Drew, formerly of Patterson, New Jersey? Anybody ever hear? Oh, yes, dear Pastor Drew. You know, he's a man of God. He went down to Florida to retire. You know, he went to Florida to retire. He's in St. Petersburg. Did he retire? He did not. He's pastor of a church. Guess how old he is now? 87, and he's pastor. Still pastor, 87 years old. I've had many meetings with Pastor Drew, and just before, just before I would teach down there, he and I would be in his little office back there on our knees, and he would pray. I used to love to hear him pray. Dear Pastor Drew, he would pray like this. Oh, Lord Jesus, I read the newspapers today, and the news is very, very bad. But, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the good news. And now, as our brother Woodbridge goes out to teach the good news, may the Holy Spirit of God bless him. And, you know, bad, bad good you cannot appreciate the glory of the good news of salvation unless you come by the way of Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. It's a very dark scene. Man by nature, whether he be Gentiles with his twofold light or Jew with his twofold privilege, humanity as such, I have before proved both Gentile and Jew that they are all under sin. Whether we like it or not, that's it. Now, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. 117, 118, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Watch. In the early chapters of Romans, we see these two things the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of men, and between them a great goal fixed. That's it. That's the problem. 
Not very long ago, I was lecturing in Paris, France. And guess what the theme was? Romans. Not just six evenings, 30 lectures on Romans this week. I've got to go quickly. If I had about five extra lectures right now, which I do not have, I would show you what Paul has to say in Romans about the depth of that abyss. It is a precipitous chasm that separates a righteous God from unrighteous man. Briefly, it's this. It's the gulf of sin, of guilt, of judgment, of wrath, and ultimately Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is what, everybody? There it is. There it is. There it is. A very deep chasm. You know, whenever you teach any book of the Bible, you have to resist a certain temptation. You and I would much rather talk about the grace of God than we would about our own sin. We do. Much more beautiful, it seems, to talk about the love of Christ. Oh, yes. But we've got to follow the apostolic pattern. Here's where he starts. The Apostle Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Let's get that. Let's get that. Man, man by nature is in a profound predicament. Therefore he stands in need of the gospel of the grace of God. Will you please follow this next instruction carefully? Will you please turn to chapter 3, verse 21, and underline the first two words. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, just underline the first two words, because I do not want to bring this message to a close tonight in the minor key. I'm going to shift over and end it in just a few minutes. This is Sunday night. This is primarily a sermon now, Sunday, Monday, teaching, Tuesday, teaching. I want to end it in the minor key. Look, please, at chapter 3, verse 21, underline the first two words, and when you've done that, will you please look up from your Bible? But now, Ooh, it's been very dark. It's been dismal. Ooh, it's been distressing. It's been deplorable. Ooh, it's been like a dank dungeon of the soul. But now, did you know that that little word but in English is a beautiful word? Someday I would like to preach a series of sermons entitled, But. Have you recently been to Denver, Colorado? You go up above Denver and you get to the Great Divide. Have you been there? But it's like a Great Divide. Look, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, here comes the dark now, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to them which are the saved it is the power of God. Those two little words. But now, Romans 3.21, they are like the dawn, the dawn after a dark and dismal midnight. I wonder whether there's anybody here tonight who has not yet trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. May I give you God's verdict about you? If you have never yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then this is what Paul teaches in Romans about you. If you've never trusted the Savior, God is 100% righteous. By nature, you are unrighteous. And there's a vast, precipitous abyss between your soul and God. But the glory of the gospel is 
that that chasm has been spanned. You cannot span it in your own strength. You cannot span it by your own sociology, your own philosophy, your own psychiatry. You cannot. God has spanned it. But now, but now, but now, the moment we trust Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as our Savior, we are provided with just the righteousness we need in order to have fellowship with the righteous God. I'm going to bring this message to a close. When I was a missionary in West Africa, I used to be going week after week after week in the jungle. I have a Johnson bicycle day after day through the jungle and again and again at night five o'clock in the evening totally exhausted coming to a village and all the people would know that you were coming they would know why telephone no african wireless telegraphy i had a drum name a drum name big drum you know high tone lip and a low tone lip and the language is divided into tones so they would look the missionary over for a little while, then they would give him a name. My name sounded in the drum like this. Da -da 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 -da. That's me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they would announce, oh, an hour or so before, he's coming, he's coming. I cut him a I cut him a I cut You hear it on the drum. He will preach the words of God. He will preach the words of God. All the believers will be right there. I've seen this again and again. You cross that final stream, and there they were in the clearing. Oh, we're glad to see you. We're glad to bring us the words of God now. There'll be a meeting in about a No, 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 no. Now, now, we've been waiting. We're hungry for the words of God. I shove back my helmet, and I say, All right, anybody got a stick? Take my necktie, shirt off. What I care? Stick. I will now bring you the words of God. Everybody watch. Somebody give me a stick. Big line like this. Big line right down the middle. And I would turn to these people, speaking to them in Bulu. I have now drawn a line. On this side, darkness. On this side, a fufupa, light. On this side, death. On this side, life. On this side, bondage. On this side, freedom. On this side, fear. On this side, hope. I want to ask all of you people, on which side do you want to stand? The dark side? Or the, who wants to stand over here? Mm -hmm. Who wants to stand over here? Mm -hmm. Got it. All right. If you are on this side, I will now tell you how to get to the other side. Now take that stick. I will draw a transverse line until it was the figure of the cross. Then I would tell them about Jesus. Jesus. You want to step over from the side of bondage to liberty, of darkness to light, for God so loved the world, and that is the but now of Romans chapter 3, verse 21. We have a Savior, and as we trust him, this is it, this is it. There is no other way, and my assignment commencing tomorrow night a quick review, and then at once, precisely the glorious manner in which Paul develops this theme. Let us all unite in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee that thou hast not left us in the darkness of light, but that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We thank thee that thou hast not left us in the depths of our iniquity and sin, but that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. We thank thee that he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Thou hast not left us without comfort. The Lord Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Oh, how we thank thee for him. Thou hast not left us to wander, Christ Jesus is the way. Thou hast not left us in error, the Lord Jesus is the truth of God. And as we bring this evening, Lord of worship to be, to a close, 
may our eyes be focused upon him, the very center of our being and of our destiny. In a few moments, I'm going to pronounce the benediction and we'll be dismissed. But before I do, are there some in this congregation who have been uncertain about your relationship to Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about your lips. I'm talking about your heart, way down deep in your heart. Or you may have joined something once, but are there those here who way down deep in their hearts have not been sure that they've trusted Jesus as their dear Savior. He shed his blood to wash away our sins. But the Holy Spirit of God has recently been dealing with you, and you know it. And your heart has been melted, melted. And the very best you know how, you are ready to trust Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your own dear Savior and to enter into life. I would love to pray for you. If you are sincere in what you're doing, this has nothing to do with who's sitting next to you, between you and God. If you're sincere and honest and mature, and the Spirit of God has been dealing with you, I would love to pray for you. If you would like to say, please pray for me, the very best I know how, I want to trust Jesus as my own dear Savior, and I mean it. I'm sincere. I'm honest. I know what I'm doing. I'm mature. Please pray for me. I would love to pray for you. Wherever you're seated, just let me know, will you? Upstairs or down, anywhere. Only if you're sincere. For the first time in my life, I really mean business with God. I want to trust Jesus as my own Savior. Please pray for me. Will you slip up your hand high and put it right down again? Just let me see it. Anybody upstairs or down? Do not raise your hand, please, unless you're sincere. But if this is your sincere desire, I would like to pray for you right now. Wait just a moment. Just slip up your hand quickly. Put it down again. Now, wait a minute. This is not an evangelistic service, but if the Spirit of God has been dealing with you for the last time, I'm going to ask you tonight, if you have been uncertain about your relationship to Jesus Christ, you can settle it now. I'll wait just a moment. Please pray for me.